The following presentation is a production of Ride the Wave Media. Hello and welcome to Practically Magic. This is episode six. We're going to talk a little bit about paganism. This is Courtney Pearl you're listening to. Pagan witch, card reader, healer, spiritualist, Celtic priestess, teacher, artist, and mystic seeker. I have been on a discovery of true and real magic in the world, and I wish to share that with you. We're going to start as we do each episode. I'm going to pull a card, and I am using a tarot deck called the True Heart Tarot. This deck was actually a gift. It was my first tarot deck, and I was told that some tarot readers, especially old world tarot readers, believe that you have to be gifted your first tarot deck or that in order to use decks, you have to be gifted them. A lot of people don't subscribe to that myth and and they'll buy their own decks. I buy my own decks mostly. But it's nice that my very first one was a gift from my sister and she was just, you. I think this is something you'd be into. And it turns out I am into it. I'm very into it. So I appreciate that because now it's a big part of my life. And reading cards is one of my favorite things to do. So I'm pulling a card today for us, for this episode, and for anyone who's an audience member today that needs to hear this. I'm joined today by my cat, Titian, my black cat. Of course, every witch needs her black cat. I have mine. She's sitting on my lap right now, so hopefully she doesn't cause any problems in the recording. I am pulling a card today that is the Eight of Swords in this deck. And this is an interesting artwork because it actually shows kind of the the woman in the card who's typically surrounded by the swords. In this card, she is actually floating above the card, the swords, and she's a black silhouette of a woman. And in this card, she's always tied up and blindfolded. And that's true of this card also, but it's interesting because her hair is flowing down and each part of her hair is tied to the swords. And in this particular deck, and different decks, I read them a little bit differently, but in this deck, I do like to read the swords as the air element or the element associated with intellect and communication. And when I look at this card for us today, I am getting the impression that we are meant to rise above but also stay grounded and connected to that which protects us, that we have an element of trust as we do this work today. So as you're on your healing journey and your self-awareness journey or in your seeking magic journey, that this is telling us that we need to trust ourselves in staying grounded, we're protected. And even though we are tied up or blindfolded or can't always see, what the benefit is or where this is taking us, I think that this is a very much a a card of trust. And although it seems like it's a little bit scary, a lot of the artwork in tarot seems like it's negative or that it's scary or like there's swords and she's tied up. But I think that the message that we're meant to get here is trusting that the universe has provided for us exactly what we need that we're on a path of discovery and that these swords are actually our protection. They're like creating a wall around us to be able to safely explore. And that even as she's blindfolded and unable to see, she is trusting that she's in the right place. She's doing what she needs to be doing. And she's even 
in this card floating or rising above it to be able to get her where she needs to be. So I want you to take that into consideration in your life right now and see what that card might mean for you. And to introduce us to the topic of what we're going to talk about in this episode today, I have a little story. This episode is going to be released around the time of we're getting ready for Ostera. And this is a pagan holiday. But what I love about this holiday specifically and all of the Wheel of the Year holidays, the Wheel of the Year means the Wheel of the Year has been broken up into about every six weeks. There's some kind of a celebration or festival that old and ancient pagan or indigenous ancestors would have maybe celebrated because, and this comes from a a Northern European kind of practice, but it follows the wheel of the year as far as the planting, the harvesting, the wintering, the sort of natural aspects of living life on this planet in that hemisphere of the earth. So Ostera is great because it actually is a very blended kind of holiday or festival or time of year with pagan and Christian traditions. And since we're going to talk about paganism today a little bit and hopefully not scare you away from what paganism is, once we've clarified what paganism is, you'll understand that Ostera is a perfect example of the melding of these cultures because Ostera, although that is the name of a German goddess of dawn and spring is a representative of the earth coming back to dawn and the springtime, the seeds and the bulbs that we've planted around Imbolc are now finally going to start popping up out of the frozen earth. And Ostera is the name of this goddess of dawn. It's also the melding with the Easter traditions. So Ostera is also Easter. And that is beautiful. They mean both. And a lot of the symbolism around Easter is from pagan roots. We've adopted it into a Christian tradition where we like to be like, oh, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also symbolized in rebirth. And we like to use the symbolism of bunnies and eggs and all of that. But actually, the hair is a Celtic symbol of moon and fertility. Of course, we know bunnies reproduce quickly and a lot. So them being a symbol of spring is really appropriate because we are talking about rebirth. We're talking about the fertility of the land and planting our seeds and crops for the new year. And even the the symbol of eggs is an old fertility symbol, and there has been some really beautiful tie-ins with the Christian tradition of with eggs and the story of Mary Magdalene and the egg that she turns red from her faith. You can weave all these traditions and stories and symbols into each other, and I love that. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Ostera. There is a story that goes, the goddess Ostera is walking through the forest, and she comes to a bird who's been injured. And she sees this bird on the ground and she picks it up. And with her goddess powers, she says to the bird, I can heal you and I can let you be free again to to roam the earth. Would you like that? And the bird says, yes, please. My wing is broken and I would surely die here if you didn't heal me. So The goddess says, I can heal you, but under one condition, I can 
I can only heal you if I can turn you from a bird into a hare or bunny. I realize bunnies and hares are not the same thing, but as we are telling the story, it doesn't actually matter which one it is. So let's say it's a bunny. I can turn you into a bunny, so you will no longer be able to fly, but you will be alive. And the bird says, okay, I will concede to this deal. Uh, However, I do want to remain the ability to lay eggs. For this ability to lay eggs as a bird is really important to me. And mothering in that way is really important to me. And so Osteria says, okay, I can, I can give you that. I can leave you with the ability to lay eggs. And thus, the bird was turned into a bunny who can lay eggs. And this becomes the Easter bunny or the Ostera bunny. And that is a story that perhaps predates the, the stories we have of the Easter bunny. And that may be where that story comes from. Now, these symbols of fertility, it's, it's amazing that for the last 2,000 years, paganism has gotten a pretty bad rap. And a lot of that is due to the campaign of Christianity overtaking the earth and conquering civilizations of pagans and saying paganism is evil. These are heathens. They must come unto Christ and believe in this now. And there is doctrine associated with that. And so that's when paganism was mixed in with the sort of idea that it was evil or that it was against Christianity or that they were not one and the same thing. And so I love that Ostera is an opportunity to say, actually, there were a lot of cultures when the Roman Catholic Church was on conquest and conquering Celtic traditions that there was people in the Celtic and Nordic areas that said, let's try to blend these together rather than to squash our traditions we've had for thousands of years, things our ancestors believed in. Let's try to meld them together and let's incorporate them together. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, is that whether you are Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or even atheist, paganism is something that welcomes all and everyone to an idea that can be practiced or can be uh, understood under any other religious or spiritual theology. And that is where I came to be a pagan. And I was grown, I grew up in more of a fundamentalist Mormon tradition. So although my parents weren't necessarily fundamentalists, their parents were. And I am descended right from the Mormon pioneers who came across the plains after Joseph Smith. I can't even tell you exactly which ancestor that I have that converted to Mormonism, but it's pretty early in the church days which would seem like it goes back pretty far, but actually the Mormon church is a fairly new branch of Christianity in that it's only been around for a few hundred years. But because I live in Utah, it's very, very much ingrained into our government, our culture, and everything that we are here in this in this lovely state. So I do want to say that that is more of a fundamentalist come from that I have, but my journey into paganism was looking for something that was a little bit more rooted in the not what is true to your own heart kind of way. So I actually came about it in looking into Gnostic Gospels of Christianity, that there was the house and Gospel of Mary and Thomas and Philip 
that we're preaching more of the feminine come from or the feminine energies of the Christian church, things that were, of course, taken out of what we now have as the Bible. And I love this quote by Graham Harvey. He's a kind of a religious leader. He talks about how the difference between fundamentalist or going from a fundamentalist to a Gnostic or fundamentalist to a pagan spiritual belief is like the difference between a tree and the forest. So if you were to say, let's say, for example, that the the doctrine or religion of Christianity is like the tree. So it has its root or its trunk. The start of Christianity started somewhere and became a doctrine and a rigid set of rules or way of living. And there are many branches from that tree, which Mormonism would be a branch of a branch of a branch, right, of that Christian church. There's a doctrine involved, the Bible and the New Testament. And then a branch from that, which is the Book of Mormon, there's a doctrine to follow. But paganism is more like, instead of the tree, there's a forest. And it isn't that you have to follow with one doctrine. It is kind of like there are many doctrines and many theologies, many ways to come into paganism. And you can actually be pagan and also any of those other things that you want to be. It's coming into relationship with the land. It's the spirituality of earth. It's the spirituality of sky. And that is something that felt more true to me in whatever spirituality you might believe in. Because for me, it's hard to deny that nature itself is already pretty magical. That once I came into relationship with the land, instead of what was maybe what my Christian ancestors' relationship with the land was in ownership, or if you kind of subscribe to the the idea that conquering, colonizing, manifest destiny, that when we are in relationship with the land as its owner versus the pagan idea that we are in relationship as a steward of this land. What I find interesting is that we as as descendants of Northern European ancestry or us white folks, to put it bluntly, us white folks come from a sort of background of understanding that Christian or religious fundamental Christian background with the land is that we were told in doctrine that this land is given to us by God and that we are in ownership of it. That when we see a tree, we are allowed to use that tree however we want. We cut it down. We use it for lumber. It's our tree. Um, God has granted us this tree. It's our right to have the tree. Same thing with the land and same thing with all of the creatures of the land. And when I started going on this journey, I joined a group called Nourishing Kin, which helps us to trace ourselves back to where our ancestry or our homeland came from and say, before Christianity, that wasn't how we had relationship with the land. And we're trying to rekindle that and understand that in a different way. But I find it interesting that us white folks, we tend to idealize or appropriate or really just glob on to 
the Native American cultures here, people who live are indigenous peoples to this turtle island that we live on. And if you don't want to know what I mean by turtle island, I would go back and listen to one of Fresh King Benjamin's last episodes of uh, Vibing the Apocalypse because he explains turtle island very well. But it's the idea that this land wasn't America first, that it was Turtle Island, that a lot of the indigenous people that lived here had their own relationship to this land that we now call North America. And we love the idea of like having relationships with the plants and animals the way that the Native Americans or indigenous peoples do here. So much so that we act like them or we adopt their practices and we start doing things that they do or wearing things that they wear because it's fun and interesting and different. And one of the ideas that we in Nourishing Kin try to bring forward is that we don't need to appropriate Indigenous people's practices because if we come from Northern European roots, we actually have our own really beautiful Indigenous practices. So like my family's ancestry comes from Scotland, Denmark, Wales, Ireland, England. I have kind of a a mixture of those Celtic ancestry. And I feel very drawn to learning about what was it that my peoples did before Christianity told us that we were in ownership of the land, but when we had relationship with the land. So I really love to learn about the folklore of Ireland, that we have folklore like the Kaliach, who is the woman, the old wise woman who in some stories she grows like a giant and she has rocks in her apron and she places those rocks around on the land, making the hills and mountains. That is Ireland and Scotland. And to me, that means there is a spiritual or there is a very deep rooted connection to the land itself. And something else that Nourishing Kin and that group has helped me with is to claim or take notice of the grief that we feel in having a disconnect from that land because it is no longer our homeland or it is no longer the land we reside on. Being descendants of immigrants here to this Northern American land We have to sort out the feelings we feel of like never really truly making this our homeland because it is our adoptive mother. And so we want to make sure we're respectful in that way. And what this means for us, if I can try to untangle myself from my kitty, we're confronting our own relationship to ancestral trauma or cultural appropriation with this idea of animism. So instead of the land being an it, we try to associate with the land as a they or them or he or she, that this land has a sentient relationship or that it's it's sentient in the way that we can communicate with trees and with plants and with animals and that it is in fact sacred, the land itself, that it was sacred to the people who lived here before me. And we always start off our meetings, Nourishing Kin, we always do a land acknowledgement, which I have grown to appreciate and practice even in other things that I do in my life. If I'm doing some kind of a ritual or if I'm doing anything, any type of gathering, I try to acknowledge or start each 
thing that I do with an acknowledgement that the land I currently am on, my home where I'm recording right now, is the indigenous land of the Timpanogos, Shoshone, and Paiute tribes of Utah, and that they had a sacred relationship with this land, that this land was abundant with resources. They understood the medicines that grew here. They understood the the kin or the animal life that lived here, and that their stories and their folklore are connected with this land. And while I can't be on the land of my ancestors, I do get to appreciate and acknowledge that this land was sacred to those people and that I can hold a sacred relationship with this land on which I reside. So what that means to me is trying to decolonize myself, trying to understand the relationship I have with land that comes from my ancestors, my more recent ancestors, is that manifest destiny, the idea that God granted me this land and it's mine. Well, instead of that, I need to see it as relationship. And some ways that I have done that, which I have gotten from books that I've read, like Braiding Sweetgrass, helps me to understand that relationship, Root and Ritual. So for example, I might plant a garden in my backyard, but even as I'm doing so, I am using it as a spiritual practice of asking the land or the land spirits. In the Celtic tradition, this would be like fairies or the fae folk or... There's some belief that every home has a home gnome. Now, you don't have to believe in fairies or gnomes, but I believe that those are connected to land spirits, that there is a spiritual aspect to my garden outside my own home has its own protectors and its own spirits. And if I ask the spirits, what do you want planted here? What 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 can I plant here? Or ask permission, can I plant tomatoes here? And just getting a feeling of either yes, that is allowed or that's acceptable or no, those plants that you're wanting to plant are invasive and not indigenous here and we would rather you didn't. That's just my own personal feeling about it. So I get to have those those moments, those quiet and peaceful meditations to ask the land spirits if what, what I can and can't do. And it also means that as I plant my garden, I am being very careful about making offerings and gratitude to my plants and to my kin, that I am not in ownership of those plants, that I am actually, they're a part or a member of my family or a member of my kin that I have relationship with. So I might save my eggshells and my coffee grounds and go outside and make a point to offer those to them. And I love doing this with my children because then I actually get to pass along those ideas to them and they have a different relationship with land than our our ancestors would have had. So they get to see it and experience it and actually engage in it. And so I say to my children, like, we're going to go offer the plants some of these coffee grounds and these eggshells, things that fertilize and nourish the soil and that they love. And my blueberry plants especially love the coffee grounds. So when it comes time to pick the berries and tomatoes and harvest the fruits and vegetables, I do not walk out to my garden and just assume that all of those fruits and vegetables are mine because I planted them. 
I need to have respectful, consensual relationship with my plants. And so to me, that just means asking permission before we take. And this also applies to when we're out hiking and we go and we we're foraging and scavenging for plants and things like maybe I want to take some rose buds from rose bushes. Well, instead of just taking, I always stop and give a moment to ask. And when I teach this to children, I make sure to help them understand this isn't like talking to the trees with my voice or with English. You can do it that way if you'd like. But it is rather a heart-to-heart conversation. So it is something that I reach out with my energy, with my higher self, my spiritual self, and I ask the plants, is this okay? Am I allowed to take this? And then I give it a moment to feel what messages are coming through. And this might sound silly at first, but I'm going to encourage you, when looking for magic in your life, this is one excellent way to really see magic unfold in your own life. It's pretty amazing when you get a chance to see how that feels. I took my art students out one time and we were foraging for leaves and buds and plants and I taught them to ask permission. And I said, you're going to just take a moment to think, does this plant offer this or am I just taking? And I don't want to just take And it was amazing to see these students of mine who are not from a pagan background, by the way. These are children who this was their first time ever doing something like this. And they were so in tune. I could hear them saying to me, they would come to me and say, oh, my gosh, Mrs. Miss Courtney, that plant does not want me to take those those flowers right now. I I could hear it. I could feel it. And I said, very good. That is a really great way to develop a relationship with your plants and with these plants on the land we occupy. So it's really about finding magic in your landscape, understanding that the mountains outside of our window might just look like a nice, pretty view to us, but that that actually represents a spiritual and sacred connection for the indigenous people who lived here and figuring out how that feels to you and whether or not you have that same relationship with the land. Understanding that things like the Great Salt Lake, which is in danger because it is drying up. And if it dries up, it means that all of the people who live around the Great Salt Lake are going to die from the arsenic that's going to be released into the, into the world. And while all that's a big problem, we have the idea that the Great Salt Lake is just existing for us, that it is there for us to enjoy and to look at. Well, if we have a shift in our perspective that the Great Salt Lake is not an it, but actually has a, if we call the Great Salt Lake she and we say she is dying, it already has a very different feel than it's drying up. So if we have that relationship in that same way, we will be able to have that shift in perspective. So those are some great examples. And I want to this broad understanding of how this feels. And I want to tell this story about when I went to England 
And I was very excited to go to England because, as I said, I've been working for years with Nourishing Kin. I was wanting to have a better understanding of my relationship with the land here and the land of my ancestors. So getting to go to England meant actually getting to go to the place my ancestors were from. And that is very sacred to me. So on the pilgrimage that I went on, we were going through sacred sites of England and Wales, and we were brought first on the first night. We were staying in Glastonbury, which is a very energetically, because it is on ley lines. And if you don't know all about Glastonbury, look it up because it's a very spiritual place. But to save time, I'm just going to tell you that it was sacred to me to be there. And the first night we were doing a ritual on the base of the tour. The tour is a hill, a sacred hill in in the middle of Glastonbury, and it has a tower on it that was from an old church from 1100 AD. It's amazing. And we were doing a ritual to open the week, to spend this week together as a sisterhood. We were standing in a circle and we were just going to set our intentions for the week. What was it that we were looking for? And I actually wanted to connect with the land on a very personal level. So I took my shoes and socks off and I stood on the ground. And as I stood there, my feet getting to feel the soft green grass under a very lush and deep, moist earth. The land in England is very different than what I'm used to in Utah. Utah is a dry desert. So being there was like standing on a pillow of softness and just being able to understand this is the place my ancestors' bones are buried and I get to be here. And I try as a pagan to connect with my ancestors quite often. But when you're trying to connect with your ancestors in North America, when you're so far away, it does feel like a, a radio that is not quite in tune and the station isn't quite coming in clear. So you're like just hearing a lot of static. But standing there on that day and getting to connect with my ancestors, it felt like someone had just turned the knob on that radio just a tiny titch. And in that frequency, I was able to like hear it clear as a bell. And the first thing I heard when I was listening with my heart was the voice of an ancestor saying, Welcome, daughter. And I cannot begin to express to you the immense feeling of emotion that came with hearing those words, with the whole purpose of my travels to be to connect with that ancestor or those ancestors. And I felt them all around me. I felt that they were there with me, but they were also welcoming me as their daughter. And this felt just exactly what I needed Sorry, if you could hear that alarm, that was alarm that my kids are getting out of school. What timing too, right? We're sitting here having a moment. But that was a very powerful moment for me. And so I want to challenge you, if you don't quite know or understand paganism yet, even after this episode and our, our conversation here and listening to what I, how I describe paganism, I want to ask you these questions. I want you to sit with them and see what they, what feelings come up or how you feel about it. If you have ever looked at the moon and 
you find its very existence up there in the sky, in the night sky, to be magical. If you ever wonder what a tree has witnessed in its lifetime on this planet, if you've ever pondered at the intricate beauty and workings of a cell or the beauty of a snowflake or the stars in the sky, if you love butterflies and you compare their journey of life to your own, the cycles, if you find peace in nature, if you thank the sky for rain to cleanse the air and earth, if you feel the gratitude at the garden you planted for producing food and the marvel of all you had to do was plant it and cultivate it and you've got food to eat, if you ever clear the weeds and trash to make room for your plants to grow, if you bring plants indoors just so you can benefit from the look and feel of having real plants in your home, if you've ever stopped to think about how the earth itself, Mother Earth, she will take your shit, your snot, the very outward breath from your body and use it to make food, shelter, air, and beauty out of it. If any of those things have ever been true for you, you might be a pagan. And it's okay to be a pagan. And it's okay to be a pagan in any other sense and way that you want to have a relationship with that. And I'm going to leave you with this one last quote. This is one of my favorite comedians, Ricky Gervais, who is a very notorious atheist. He's known for a lot of a lot in his comedy talking about God and being very much of the belief that there is no God and there is no afterlife and this is all you get. But he says, nature is super enough. And his come from there is that Honestly, why believe in all of that other stuff when really, if you look at what we have in nature, it's, it's enough. It's wondrous enough. And he goes on to talk about how like amazing and weird and creative and crazy that it, an octopus is, which if you think about it, he's got a good point. And I just want to finish here with a question from a listener. So I did have a question come forward this week that was specifically from a listener of the podcast. Yay! So if you have questions from listening to this podcast and you just want to know more about the things we talk about, please send in your questions. She wanted to know a little bit about the colors we had talked about before. So she was saying... It's interesting when you talk about colors and our gravitate towards a certain color. She said, I used to always love purple. Purple was her favorite, favorite color. But she says, lately, I'm leaning more towards like an emerald green. And what does this mean? And again, all of this is just a proposal. So I'm going to propose what I think this means for her is that with the green being associated with the love, with the heart chakra, it really is about love of self, opening up your heart to the flow of love. And that's that deep emerald color that's associated with that. And the purple color has a lot to do with our relationship to God or to authority or to our higher power or to mom and dad. It's usually like a spiritual 
it's it's the color of royalty. So think about it that way, connecting to authority figures. And I would suggest that maybe the shift that's happening for her in her life right now is seeking love and approval from authority figures is not as important as it once was. And now that shift is going towards needing approval from self, finding love within rather than from those outward sources. So she's going through this shift right now where she's discovering that self-love. And I'm just proposing that that could be an explanation to that shift in her preference of color. So if you have a question about that or anything that is coming up in life, I have people ask me about angel numbers. Why are certain angel numbers showing up? Or why is a certain animal always showing up in my life? Those are really great questions. And especially if you're going more towards a paganism belief system, then that might ring true for you. A lot of the druids and wisdom keepers kept a very, very close eye on certain animals and birds that would show up a lot because they considered them to be omens. So stay tuned. And next week, we're going to talk a lot more about the magic of color. I want to really do an extensive episode explaining more about healing with colors and the importance of colors in our frequencies. So come back next week to learn a little bit more about that. You're going to learn to use magic in your everyday life to strengthen relationships, to heal, to prosper, and to thrive. I would like to challenge you to reach out to me on social media. Follow me on Instagram at prism underscore healing or Facebook. I'm Courtney Pearl. And you can find my page, Courtney Pearl's Prism Healing, for more information on events such as my Healing Through Art Workshop. And coming up this month also is going to be a Heart Smart Art Workshop for Kids and Parents. Don't miss that. That is so amazing. I love doing workshops with art for parents and their kids to learn about their deep feelings and understanding themselves better. So those workshops are excellent. You can find me at my website, prism-healing.com, which you can book private sessions for card readings or healing work or any of my workshops and events coming up. This is also where you can get more resources pertaining to this podcast. I am doing a weekly blog post that follows each of these episodes that gives you a lot more information or can go into detail or even give you resources like books to read that have the information of some of the topics we've talked about today. So please private message me any questions you have on any of these platforms, anything about magic or things you're wondering about. And you may even have personal situations that you'd like to get more clarity about that maybe I can direct you in the right direction to go. All right. Some of the uh, resources we talked about on this episode are Root and Ritual by Becca Piastrelli. Celtic Spirituality, if you'd like to know more about that, I suggest the book The Mistfilled Path by Frank McCowan. And more about Gnostic Christianity, I suggest your first book you should go look at is Mary Magdalene Revealed by Megan Watterson. If you're looking for something a little bit more about feminism in Christianity, that is an excellent resource. And she also talks a little bit more about a new New Testament, which is a Bible for the 21st century combining traditional and newly discovered texts compiled by Hal Tusig. That is an excellent resource if you're wanting to know more about Gnostic Christianity. 
I would like to thank Ride the Wave Media, Just Blaine, for producing and managing my podcast and editing, and Daybreak Treasures Boutique for featuring me as an artist in their boutique and sponsoring my events. And I would like to thank everybody who is listening. Please keep listening and share and follow this podcast to help me grow my following and allow more content to be available to you. Thank you so much. I will see you next week. I can't wait. Bye.